You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Thank you, worship ministry, for leading us to the throne room this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be in front of you today. And Pastor Thomas, for giving me this opportunity as he is in uh, Texas, which is closer to some people's hearts than others. John chapter 11 today, if you'll turn there with me. Um, there is zero question that over the course of the past 18 to 24 months, as a nation, as individuals, as families, as a church, we have faced immense sorrow, grief, loss, death. At times in ways that we can't fathom, understand, explain, and that we really don't know how to process. If we're honest about that, that's true. And the reality is, in life, we are going to face those things. And many times they don't make sense. I know personally, I can dive into that with great depth in ways today that I couldn't two years ago. And so this morning, as we, as we look at this passage together, it's a, it's a passage that if you've been in and around church, if you were like me and you had a drug problem, your mom drug you to church as early as you can remember. If that's you, you've heard this passage. And our tendency with passages we're familiar with is to gloss them over. Oh, I've heard that since I was a wee lad or a wee lass in Sunday school. I know all about that passage of Scripture, but I, I, I think these passages are so loaded for us. And I'm not claiming to teach everything that this passage has to teach us today, but I, I think that when it comes to the issue of sorrow, when it comes to the issue of grief, there are fewer passages in Scripture that speak to us the way that John 11 does. We're going to read this passage together, and yes, I'm going to read. 1 through about 45 or 46, because the power is in the words, it's not in me. The power is here in the words, and I want us to read it together, and then we're going to talk about six truths together this morning. I think the Lord wants to challenge us with, so if you'll pick up with me here in verse 1 of John chapter 11, I think I've given you plenty of time to get there, so let's look together. It said, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not meant for death, but it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And his disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and yet you're going there again? And Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks during the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
This he said, and after this he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going so that he may awaken, I may awaken him from sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will come out of it. They sound an awful lot like us. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about actual sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may catch that part. Believe, but let's go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that they had already he'd already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about 15 stadia away. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them about their brother. So then Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. And Martha said, um, and Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise from the dead. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I've come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and he who comes to the, into the world. And when she'd said this, she left and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard this, she got up quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and were consoling her, when they saw that Mary had gotten up quickly and left, they followed her, thinking she was going to the tomb to weep there. So when Mary came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the, of the man who was blind not have also kept this man from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. But I knew that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around it, around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And out came the man who had died, bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. Let's pray. Lord, we are so aware when we read your word of the power that you possess. 
a power that is unmatchable and unfathomable here on planet Earth. Lord, we see that in the resurrection of Lazarus, and yet we so often walk through life uncertain and not trusting. Lord, I know there are many here today who have suffered great loss. Maybe you're going through it right now. So, Lord, this morning as we unpack your word, let your Holy Spirit guide and direct our hearts and our words for your glory, for the sake of the name of Jesus. Amen. Seven truths I want us to see this morning from this passage. There are many others we could pull, but we want to focus on these seven today. Truth number one, sickness, pain, sorrow, and death are guaranteed in a world corrupted by sin. They are guaranteed in a world corrupted by sin. Look at what Scripture tells us. Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, we're going there. Genesis 3, 19. Here it is. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Those are the words that God spoke to Adam. You're dust. And you're going back to dust. It is true, statistically speaking, because we've heard a lot of statistics the last 18 months. But here's the statistic that is so true for all of us. One out of every one people die. That statistic never changes. You know what I mean? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only human being who lived and who will ever live, will not face this thing of death unless we're here when Jesus comes back and he calls us home then. And that's a different statistic for a different day. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 20. All go to the same place. All came from dust and all return to the dust. That's what it says. But perhaps nobody summarizes how sin has impacted our world more than the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 8. And I want to read verses 18 through 24. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, is that, is that applicable this morning? The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that it's to be revealed to us. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Listen to this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters for the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what has already been seen? But if we hope for what we do not see through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. You see, the word futility in this passage means literally emptiness and nothingness. The whole creation has been subjected to nothingness. Everything is groaning. It's yearning for rightfulness with its creator. That's the world we live in. We, we turn on the news. We watch it. We see it. We turn on the Discovery Channel and we see the, the lion chasing the gazelle. The gazelle is not at a moment of happiness. You know what I'm saying? It's been subjected to death, just like everything else. But, but they didn't sin. It was the sin in the garden that subjected all creation to futility. Everything, 
Everything has been subjected to. Everything is corrupted by sin. You, me, the whole world. There's nothing that has escaped it. It used the word groan. And here's what's interesting about the word groan. It's not a singular word. It means it's a common shared calamity. It's shared. It's not just for one, but for all. When a child dies in a car accident or cancer's diagnosed or a global pandemic hits and takes from us when we love, we, we all experience this. We all endure it together. That's what that's saying. It's sickness driven by this futility that causes Mary and Martha to call for Jesus to come and heal their sick brother. Their brother's sick. Jesus, come. They know that Jesus can do it. Jesus, come heal our brother. We don't know what the illness was. We don't know what Lazarus had. But we know that he died. And they had Jesus in their life like we do. He'd given meaning to their life. He explained everything that they could understand. So surely he would come and deliver their brother. Surely he would do that because, you know, please, Jesus, come. They beg him, right? Have you prayed that prayer before? Lord, come. Right now, in this moment, heal my family member. Have you prayed that? I have. And the reality is many of us have. And if you haven't, I'm not trying to be a downer this morning, but the truth is that will happen at some point. You'll hit your knees in sorrow, praying for God to intervene, for Jesus to step in and do the miraculous. And He can. And He can. Truth two. Don't forget this one. Jesus loves His followers. He loves His followers. This is a truth we know. We sing about it. How marvelous. How wonderful, right? Is my Savior's love. For... We sing it. Do we believe it? Do we trust it? Do we know it? The interesting thing is we often fall short of understanding just how much God loves us. And this, Pat, John packs a lot here and English causes us to miss it. There goes that English again. Verse 3. Mary and Martha send to Jesus and they say, Lord, the one that you love is sick. It's the Greek word phileo. Jesus, the one you love like a brother, he's your dude. He's sick. You love him like his family, Jesus. He's sick. Come heal him. Come heal your brother, Jesus. That's basically the statement. You look later on in verse 36, the Jewish observers are there. Behold, they say, behold how he loved him. It's that word phileo again, brotherly love. They say, man, look how much he loved Lazarus like he was a family member. They observe Jesus loving, but John packs something in between the parentheses here. There's three times love is mentioned in this passage. And the human side of Mary and Martha and these observers see it as, man, this great familial brotherly love. But if we look back at verse 5, 
John tells us something really important. It says Jesus loved Martha and his, her sister and Lazarus, and it's not the same word loved. It's not. John, who's looking back on everything, recognizes what that they didn't see. John says, look, Jesus loved them. And it's not phileo. It's agape. It is a selfless, sacrificing love that is humanly impossible to create. It only flows from the throne room of heaven. And John is telling us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus with this supernatural love that we can't comprehend. It's the love that caused him to go, you know, I know heaven's perfect. I know I got it all figured out. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to step out of heaven's perfection down to earth. I'm going to come as a baby and I'm going to suffer all the pains and sufferings of a human being and then I'm going to die and I'm going to spill my blood on the cross for these people because I love them. That's the truth of what we see about this word. And it's interesting, something really just to dive in on about this love for just a minute. I want to remind us, brothers and sisters, that Jesus' love never leaves us. I know sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes it feels like we pray and the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Sometimes it feels like we pray and our prayers are unheard. But I want you to recognize what Paul writes to us in Romans chapter 8. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God loves us and nothing, nothing, nothing will ever separate us from His love. That is a reality. It's important in these moments when we're going through this great grief and suffering to be reminded about that overwhelming, all-present, all-encompassing love of Jesus that never fails. You might feel abandoned by friends. You might feel abandoned by family. You might feel abandoned by everybody. But I can guarantee you, you have not been abandoned by the lover of your soul. And that is a reality. We also want to see that Jesus' love is compassionate and it's sympathetic. Look at verse 33 and 38. He said he was deeply moved in his spirit. What does this mean? It means that Jesus was angry because of what sin had done to his friend. Jesus was angry. It's that sad anger. And he, he, he's so upset because he sees the grief and he sees it on an even deeper level than we see it because he looks at it and he sees the, the eternality of those who will never trust him and he knows the, the, 
the impact that sin has had. And right here, it's visible in the loss of his friend. It also says he's greatly troubled. He was not just moved because of what sin had done, but he was greatly agitated. It was, he had to move. He couldn't just, it wasn't just coming out of his eyes. It was coming out of his eyes. The Bible tells us that he weeps, but it literally had overwhelmed his entire body. It was like he was shaken with grief. Why? Because when you love somebody the way Jesus loves somebody, when they're hurting, you hurt. When they're hurting, you hurt. Isn't it comforting to know we have a Savior who understands what it means to have grief and loss? Who knows the pain we've experienced? You see, we know Joseph was there when Jesus was 12, but when Jesus' ministry starts, he's nowhere to be found. He'd experienced grief and loss, and he experiences it here with Lazarus. That's why it's written, cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. But how can, here's the question, how can a Savior, a God who loves us this way, allow such tragedy in our lives? It's a fair question. Because as parents, we want to do everything we can to insulate our kids from bad stuff happening. Is that true? Moms and dads and grandparents are even more that way. They want a big bubble around their grandkids. Right? You know, Mary and Martha's statement resonate with us, doesn't it? If you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, you could have stopped. There's almost this accusational tone in what they're saying. If you'd have been here, Jesus, our brother wouldn't have died. You could have stopped it. If you loved us, why didn't you come? It doesn't make sense that that would happen. You ever ask God that question? Why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you heal? Why didn't you answer my prayer the way I asked it? Fact three. Sometimes God's answer to our prayer is not what we want. You won't hear that everywhere. But it's true. Jesus delayed his arrival. And notice, it was not an accident. Did you notice that? So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer at the place where he was. did it intentionally. Now, in our finite American minds, that seems a little bit cruel. Why would he do that? We want things to make sense. We want the outcome that best fits the scenario that we've got in our mind. Notice in verse 37, even the observers, could this man who opened the eyes of the man who was blind not also have kept this man from dying? And the answer to that question is, of course, Absolutely, he could have done that. Absolutely, Jesus can, can right now from the throne room of heaven speak and every single person who is on a ventilator from coronavirus can be healed. That is true. Every person who has cancer can be healed. I believe that we still serve the same God who, who, who healed people the way that he did back then. He can do the same thing today that he did back then. But he didn't heal Lazarus, did he? 
And that's the reality. Is sometimes we pray that prayer and God's answer is no. That's the truth. You see, Isaiah tells us that his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. Jesus prays in the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You see what? The pain, the suffering of the moment. Lord, Dad, if there's any way this is possible. And then Jesus says what? Let not my will, but your will be done. It reminds us that sometimes the result is opposite of what we expect and what we want. So why does God sometimes no? Why does God allow heartbreak and suffering? Why do we have to endure hardship? Truthful. God has three purposes, I believe, in this. To bring glory to himself, to bring about the salvation of others, and to strengthen our faith. Three purposes in saying no. Bring glory to himself. Bring salvation to others. And to strengthen our faith. Let's see that through his word. To bring about his glory. Look at verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Jesus, Jesus delayed this. Why? So that God could be glorified and so that He could receive glory. The chief purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God. It's not to be good people. It's not to, to make this little corner of the world better that we live in. It's not to accumulate wealth. It's to bring glory and honor to God. That's why we exist. The birds do it naturally. They whistle a song to God as they fly along, you know. But that's what we're here to do. When God doesn't answer prayers the way we want, we must rest in the fact that He is using this situation to bring glory to Himself. In fact, I want to challenge us when we're going through sorrow that our initial prayer after saying, Lord, would you heal, is followed up by saying, Lord, whatever happens here, I want you to get the glory from it. That's biblical, folks. And that's the prayer we need to have in our heart. In my life, one of my favorite songs. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. Right? In this mess, Lord. In this death, Lord. In this grief, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified. It's also to bring about salvation. Verse 42, but I knew but I knew that you always hear me. Jesus is praying, nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and Martha and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. One of the greatest things that can happen through any tragedy is for someone to be brought to faith in Jesus. It's one of the greatest things that can happen through tragedy is that someone is brought to faith in Jesus. We see that here. As people came to faith because of what Lazarus' resurrection 
revealed to them about Jesus. You read the book of John, I challenge you to read through it. There are only two, maybe three chapters in the entire book where the word believe is not mentioned. John hammers home the point. I'm writing all of this to you so you may believe. And let me say this. When we face tragedy, another way we pray, Lord, I got cousin so-and-so, and they don't know you. Would you please use this tragedy to work in their heart to draw them to you? Lord, you know who's going to be at whatever's going on. You know the nurses, the doctors, the caregivers, the people that are involved. Speak through this tragedy into the lost hearts of the people who are there and draw them to you. That's the same attitude Jesus had on the cross, isn't it? Oh, Lord, use this, right? He also wants to strengthen our faith. Romans 8, 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You see, when we turn in desperation, broken and empty to God, our relationship with Him deepens. When we say, Lord, I don't understand. Help me understand. And we lean into Him. We get closer to Him. And our relationship with Him would deepens in a way that we would not have understood. In fact, God says, a broken and contrite heart, I'm not going to despise. When we have a brokenness over what's going on in our life, God is honored with it. Here, here's the reality. When Jesus is all we have, we begin to recognize that He's really all we ever needed. It's a reality. Truth five is a good one. Jesus has overcome death. It's defeated. It does not have finality. He whipped it all up and down the Jerusalem countryside. It's already been done. It's no longer a final foe. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. To the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. There is no finality in death. Jesus has provided life through his resurrection. That is reality. Now, maybe you're here this morning and none of this makes sense to you. Maybe you're watching online. And all this baffles you because you're dealing with great loss. And the reality is, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a lot of this that doesn't make sense. In fact, I'm not really sure how people who don't trust in the Lord make it through those difficult moments. I'm not really sure. But there's another truth, the final truth this morning, that specifically, if you've never trusted Jesus before, and that is that in this story of Lazarus, in this passage, we see a mirror of the gospel. Here's what we see. The Bible teaches us that we are all infected with a deadly eternal disease. It's not called COVID-19, it's called sin. Romans 3.23 
Because of that sin, we're going to die. Reality. We're all dead in our sin. Ephesians says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. So here we are. We're bound up in sin. We're, we're, we're shackled by it. We're wrapped up like Lazarus in the grave clothes. The, the, the stone is rolled in front of the, the, the tomb. We're, we're hopeless. We're helpless inside that tomb. We're laying there dead. Maybe that's you and in your sin. You're dead. You're laying there dead. You've never been anything but that. You've been trying to, to make sense out of life, but you, you can't make sense out of life because it's really hard to make sense out of life without the life giver. Now, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice Lazarus didn't go, hey, Jesus, need to be rescued here. That's not what happened here, was it? What happened? Jesus called Lazarus by name. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you this question. We're not raising hands. We're not doing anything. But I, do you remember the day that Jesus called you by name? Do you remember that? Maybe today you've never been called by name by Jesus before, but he's calling you out of that grave of lostness and sin. And he wants to say to you, loose him. Let him go. He wants to free you from the bondage of sin in your life. Because that's what he's come to do. That's why Jesus came to die. So I want to challenge us in two ways this morning. Number one, if you are struggling, suffering, hurting, going through a difficult time, I want to challenge you this morning to cast your cares on him. I want to I, I want to urge you and encourage us this morning. Change the way you pray. Yes, pray for healing, but also pray for glory. Also pray for salvation. And also pray that God would draw you closer to him. I want to challenge you that. Maybe you just need to unload this. I'm, I'm going to be down here in just a minute. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll pray with you. I want you to know that. You pray right where you are. But the key is that you turn to Jesus. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted him and he's calling you. He's saying, I want to take your sin. You know the song we sang? He took my sin and my sorrow and he made him his very own. And he's calling you to let him have your sin this morning. Will you trust him with that? Will you let him say to you, unbind him. And let him go. Will you respond to the gospel today? By putting your faith and your trust in him. Let's pray together. Lord, as we read your word, we're encouraged. We're encouraged because you love us with an undying, unfailing love. So Lord, as we come to this time, Lord, I just pray that you deal with each heart as you know the needs are. Lord, and I just pray that you would be glorified and that you would draw people to you. We ask these things. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.